You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. If you've been with us for a bit, we've been going through the book of Joshua. This is a, a book of the Old Testament. It shows us this sliver of history of God's people and his dealing with them, his relationship with them. And, and we come to learn so much about God through passages like this and about how to follow him and uh, to be faithful um, in our um, following of him. So today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 10. And if you remember where we kind of ended last week, uh, Israel had just built this alliance with this neighboring city kind of by accident, uh, but they have become allies, uh, the, the nation of Gibeon. And uh, this week we knew what was coming was these neighboring nations of, have um, built a confederation against Israel in order to destroy Israel. And so they are attempting to do that, and we see that God's plans don't fail, and he fights for them. And so today we're going to go to Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 5 to 15, to get a glimpse of this story. And then we'll hear what God has to say to us through it. Uh, Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up to Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel while they're going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. This is God's word. <clears throat> Verse 14 is uh, a climax of this story, the climax for us, and I think gives us a clue to the meaning of the whole passage and what we can learn from it. Here's what verse 14 says. There's been no day like it before and none since when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. Here we see that God is revealing himself as a great warrior. God is the one who fights for Israel. Chapter 10 shows us that Yahweh, the God of Israel, 
is the one who fights for his people. And there are a couple ways that God fights for his people that we see throughout scripture and here in this passage. One is in extraordinary ways and another is in ordinary ways. He reminds them, he teaches them, he reassures them of his love. These are ordinary ways that God fights for us. But then we see extraordinary ways. God stops the sun. God allows it to be dark all, all day. He sends hailstones, rocks from heaven that come down and assault the enemies of God's people. These weapons that come from the sky. These things don't happen every day. In fact, we've never seen it since. There's never been a day like this before as Joshua records. God has never done this before. This is a helpful chapter, not one just only to be amazed uh, amazed with. We're amazed at God that, and we look at stories like this. It's so extraordinary, but also to understand how God continues to fight for his people. He promises to continue to fight for his people. But why is it important to th- understand how God fights for his people today? I think, I think primarily because we, we continue to cry out to God for help. We ask God to fight for us every single day. Every time you pray, every time you're in a struggle, every time things don't go the way that you had hoped, every time you have a request or a desire or a wish in your heart, every time you go to God and say, God, please help, you're asking God to fight for you. You're asking God to to put on this armor and take weapons and, and change the world to give you what your heart desires. You're asking God to fight for you and God fights for us. He promises to fight for his people in ordinary ways and sometimes in extraordinary ways. I think we can be so encouraged by both. But we have to understand what God is doing in our world, what he's doing with us, and we get a glimpse of what he's doing with his people to help us to see that. And so let's look at our passage, consider what it means for us. First and most obvious is the extraordinary ways that God fights for his people. Here's the story. Five neighboring kings and kingdoms with their armies forming a confederation against Israel and their new friends, the Gibeonites. Joshua takes his army and they march all night uh, in order to have this surprise attack on their enemies. And it would seem that just as the night is about to break and the sun is about to rise, you can imagine Joshua seeing this and realizing he needs a little bit more time. He needs more time to gather his army to get to the place where they're going to fight. And he cries out to God. He says, give us more nighttime. Stop the sun from coming up. And God says, okay. Okay. And Joshua writes, there's never been a day like it. There's never been a day like it since. God fought for his people in extraordinary ways. There's this uniqueness that we can see in this situation that has never been seen before, and and you're likely curious as to how something like this can come about. Did the earth stop spinning on its axis for a whole day? It's estimated the earth spins at 1,000 miles an hour. And if the earth would even slow down in the slightest or stop completely, it would be catastrophic for all life on the planet. Was it a total solar eclipse? A solar eclipse has been pinpointed to around this time in history, and perhaps maybe that is what happened. Was the light 
from the sun somehow refracted from this area, this localized area where the battle would take place so that it remained dark for an entire day? These are good questions. We don't know. There are also, remember, that's not just the only extraordinary thing that happened. There are stones that fly down from the heavens, hailstones. Uh, maybe these are meteorites flying from the sky that God sends. And it's like this doomsday end of, end of time movie. You can picture it. We've seen movies like this. But here's the weird thing. It wasn't just this hailstone that happened when they were about to have a battle. It was a hailstone that killed only the enemies of God's people. How you believe these things actually happen on that day is really not the concern. It's not the concern of Scripture. It's not our, uh, a concern that we need to speculate about. There are interesting theories to read about of what happened, but what, what happened in this passage, that is the concern. And it's truly extraordinary. One man asked God to do something, and the very created order of the physical world was disrupted in such a way that has never happened before. That's what has happened. What happened? That's the aim of this passage. There was a supernatural upheaval of the normal order of things that we have come to experience day after day after day. God intervenes in his creation, which culminated in the rescue of his people and the defeat of their enemies and clearly, that God is the one here who is fighting for his people. Isn't that what we're asking for when we pray? Anytime we pray, we pray, we're asking God, intervene in the natural order of things. Intervene in creation. Intervene in my life. Step into just the normal path of actions and behaviors and things that are happening and change it for my good, for your glory, do something miraculous and extraordinary here. Every time we pray, we're asking God to change the normal course of natural history. Joshua asked God to exercise his sovereign rule over the activities of his creation for the cause of their victory over their enemies. And God says, okay, it is extraordinary what God is doing here. And this passage brings home to us most forcefully this, the sovereignty of God in every situation. He is the creator and the controller of everything that exists. God is able and God does intervene in his creation. I want you to hear that again. God is able and God does intervene in his creation in extraordinary ways. Well, what can we learn from that? I mean, quite a bit. We can learn so much about this, God's sovereignty in all things and his control over all of his creation and, and his causing to come to pass everything that he has ordered in his creation. I love how David Jackman says this in his commentary on this passage which I was encouraged by. He says this, we do not exist in a world that God winds up like a clock and then abandons. He wants us to live in the security of his sovereign rule. It is a world in which God is intimately and constantly involved. He is in control of all circumstances that his people face and of all the outcomes of their actions. 
When we are in need, when we are in a struggle, when we bring our cares and requests before God and we're up against a great challenge, maybe it's a great challenge or a small challenge, whatever it is, we often ask God for that big neon sign. We're asking him, just give me a direction, part the waters, make the way clear for me to see, change uh, creation. I mean, do something big, make the mountains crumble. We're looking for that big door to open for opportunity for us. We're looking for mountains to move. We're looking for suns to stand still. We're looking for the big thing. We want God to intervene in, in an extraordinary way, but he doesn't always work like this. We, can, we marvel at this story and see it as extraordinary, but at the same time, we have to realize this is not the normal way that God works in our life. In fact, we shouldn't expect God to work like that in our life on a day-to-day -day basis. But we are moved to know this, and this is what this teaches us of the, the sovereignty of God in extraordinary ways. Whenever we face situations of danger, of difficulty, of disappointment, of complexity, God's back is never turned against us. Even though these extraordinary things are, we don't see every single day, it shows us that God's back is not turned against us. Nothing can slip into your life without his knowledge. Nothing can happen to you with his eyes closed. There is a safety in the sovereignty of God that he has over all of creation, over our lives, and even over the choices and the things that happen to us by other people that are outside of our control. We are meant first and foremost to see that all of creation even the common, normal, physical world that we have, and the laws of nature that we have come to live by are even obedient to God. And he can, without any effort, alter them to bring about what he desires to bring about in our life. God's eyes are never closed to you. His back is never turned. He fights for his people in extraordinary ways. And even by suspending the very laws of nature that we've come to expect, these things are not outside the realm of possibility for God. But there's another way that God usually works in our life. Instead of making the sun stand still, God may not cause the sun to stop from rising, but he's still fights for us. And I think this way is just as powerful. In fact, it's much more accessible because it, it's much more regular to us. And then that is that God fights for us in ordinary ways. And we see what those are as well. What are those ways? We're kind of told in verse eight and given a clue to that. And that says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I've given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So how is God fighting for his people here? This should be familiar to you if you've read anything of the Old Testament, if you have been with us through this book of Joshua, if you have journeyed with us in it, because God is literally saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. He has reiterated and reaffirmed this statement to Joshua and his people forever. The ordinary way that God fights for his people today, the way that he fights for us today is to reassure his children that he has not forgotten us, that he has not forgotten what he has already promised to them, that he will not change, that he will not go back on his plans, that he will be faithful 
The usual way that God responds to our needs is to remind us of what he has already told us. You see, that, that's, we want him to show us a big sign. We want him to intervene in creation. And he does, but it's not the ordinary way. This is what God's people often need. We need not new truths. We don't need this hidden mystery of God for him to break through the heavens and to reveal to us something so clear. What we need is an old truth, freshly applied to our current need. And that is what God is doing with Joshua. He is saying, I've told you this. I have to- my, my presence and my love has been with you and your fathers and, your, and, and all of you forever. I've chosen you out of the world and I am reaffirming my love for you. Do not be afraid. I am with you even now. If there's a dominant lesson from this passage for you to take home, I think this is it. If you want to know that God is fighting for us, we must apply his extraordinary work to our ordinary needs. We are told these extraordinary stories, not as a pattern to expect every single day. We are told these extraordinary stories so that we can learn of his character, so that we can learn of what he's capable of, so that we can know that he is faithful and will not give up on us, so that we know that he's sovereign and is in control of our lives and our lives are in his hand. And then he says, okay, take those truths and apply it to your current need. But we want something new. Do something big. Do something bigger than that. Do something new so I know for sure. There is no more extraordinary work that God can do than through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. God intervened in creation which culminated in the rescue of his people and the defeat of their enemies. He says to his people, I will not turn my back on you. I will not close my eyes to your needs. I will alter the very laws of nature and all created universe in order to fight for you. And this is exactly what he does when he sends his son Jesus into the world, born of a Virgin Mary, living a sinless life, dying on the cross for sinners and to continue to create this upheaval in the created order. This man who truly died is resurrected from the grave and is changed in his whole being and given a body that will never die. He ascended into heaven where he sits now at the right hand of the father. He intercedes for us. He ministers to us and we are told that he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to change us. In our very nature, we are changed. We are told we're born one time through our mothers. We're born into this world, flesh and blood and natural people. But then he tells us, but we're born a second time through the Spirit. Given a new identity, a new, we are become new creation. There's something in us that he changes These aren't just metaphors, but what he says is he says, I've changed the very, I've altered the very laws of nature in order to rescue you in sending his son and changing our hearts. The good news of the gospel is this, the only way 
to forgive our sins and restore our hearts back to God who loves us and, is, and created us is for the very created order of the physical world to be disrupted, just like it was on this day. And it's exactly what God does. And now he is saying these extraordinary ways that God has acted most supremely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Those extraordinary works are meant to be applied to our ordinary needs today. Here is what you and I, here's where you and I will live. This is where we live in the day to day. Not needing something extraordinary from God but just needing to remember what he has done and applying it to our current need. Simply learning how to better apply God's work to our problems, learning how to apply what God has already told us and what we're struggling with today. Because behind every sin and, and every struggle of faith, every failure to trust God is unbelief in what God has already told us. Behind every worry, behind every uh, dismantling of our faith, behind every doubt, is this unbelief and a forgetfulness of what God has already told us about his love for us, his faithfulness to us. We are not waiting for this future revelation to convince us that God is faithful to us. We are given his word. We are given Christ. We are given his truths. And it's everything that we need. You know, not many Christians would consider themselves unbelievers. You know, we have these categories that we think of, uh, of our lives, right? There's believers and unbelievers. And you're Christian or not Christian. But every time we don't trust God's word, we're believing something else. And that something else is a lie. God told Joshua, do not be afraid. I've given them into your hand. And it's something he probably told to Joshua a hundred times before. And how Joshua acted next would be a direct reflection of his belief in what God had said or his failure to believe it. God comforts us with reassurance of his faithfulness. And, he's, and this stimulates us to courage. This is how God fights for us today. He reassures us of his love and his faithfulness. That he cares for us, he hears us, and he's bringing about the plans that he has for us. He reassures us of that. And we see him fighting for us to bring about his plans in our life. And this ought to stimulate us to courage rather than to doubt. You see, God's promises, when we trust in the sovereignty of God and we trust in his faithfulness to us and that there's not a single molecule or atom on this, in this universe that is outside of the loving, direct control of God, this doesn't cause us to be lazy and to throw our hands up and say, well, well then what does it matter? But rather, our resting in his sovereignty builds courage in our life and it spurs us to action, to faithfulness, to obedience. Because Joshua is convinced of God's sovereignty over all these situations, he moves forward and he prays a prayer that is so audacious and so crazy. God says, I've given them into your hand. Don't be afraid. I will do what I said I will do. And he's heard this a hundred times. And he says, I believe you. Therefore, stop the sun in its tracks. 
Who would pray that? Do you have that much faith? Oh, I believe he'll do it. So I'm going to ask him. Stop the sun. That new Amazon building is blocking my view. Take it down. <clears throat> you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, it's like, you wouldn't pray. That's unreasonable. I mean, that's not going to happen. You're not going to stop the sun. I mean, this, it comes up every day. This is just the natural law of things. I mean, and if it did stop, we'd all die. Well, God can alter all of that. It is not out of the question at all. But do you believe that? And the point of this is not, okay, now go out and pray these things. Well, these are extraordinary things. And God works in extraordinary ways, but he works in ordinary ways. And that's the pattern that he works in our life today. To remember the things that he has done and the most extraordinary thing that he's done, that he's called us into relationship with himself based on the righteousness of Christ that none of us deserve. And he says, that changes your life. Changes how you live. Changes how you feel about your sin. It changes, about, it changes how, what you do when you do sin, when you fail. It changes how you feel when you succeed. It changes what your desires are and how you pursue relationships. It changes everything. It changes your very life. It changes how you feel afraid when things don't go well in your life. See, in, in the hands of every single believer is a single weapon against the enemy of temptation. It is prayer. And prayer is simply going to God and saying, I, I believe what you have told me. It's pouring out our hearts, pouring out our doubts, pouring out our needs to him. Prayer is the arsenal of the army of God. Pray, prayer, we are reminded of God's word. We are led away from temptation. We are strengthened into courage to act obediently and faithfully. I love when the famous preacher Martin Lord Jones says this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of speaking truths to yourself? I wish I said that. Whether your struggle is with worry or addiction or discouragement or anger or fear or something else, starting with remembering who you are in Christ is the foundation. It is so easy to, to speak, to, to, to listen to ourselves, to listen to the voice of shame, to listen to guilt, to listen to condemnation, to listen to doubt, to listen to all the obstacles in our way and all the ways that things we wish would go differently than they have gone. When we have failed to just Speak to ourselves the truths that God has already spoken to us. God's love for you is extraordinary. The distances he has gone to rescue us from our sin is extraordinary. His act of rescue is extraordinary. We will struggle with our faith. We'll struggle to be courageous We'll struggle to trust and even rest when we listen to the voice of guilt and shame and condemnation rather than listening to what God has already said to us about who he is, about who we are in his eyes. Who we listen to is important. And God tells us that because of the sacrifice of Christ, he will never turn his back on us and we could be courageous to believe him. I want you to see that God is fighting for you. He is fighting for his people. But maybe you're looking for him to fight in ways that he does not intend to fight. 
He does not often intend to fight for us in a way that is extraordinary in the sense that he parts those waters or he removes those heavy obstacles in our way or he alters the laws of physics and nature for our benefit or he opens that door that you want to open. But God will work in ordinary ways by reminding you he's still with you. His back is not turned towards you. His eyes are open to you. He loves you and everything in this world is at his loving command, even your heart. And he wants you to rest in that reality, to know that he will be faithful. And how much more evidence do we need that he will give everything for us than in the evidence of him giving his own son to die in our place? And how much more evidence do we need that he's capable of taking something that is broken and dead and bringing new life to it than resurrecting his own son? And he says, this hope is for you as well. The same power that rose Christ from the dead, that changed and altered the physical world is the power that dwells within us who believe. Well, he's fighting for us. And he will never stop fighting for us until he brings about all of his promises. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.